0: Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, thank you to everybody who listened to the last episode on No Guns Life. I am a little biased in the fact that I... I listen... I I do a yearly panel about people with disabilities in anime and the representation in anime, so... A show like No Guns Life is a show that I, like lean way into probably way more than it deserves, or anything deserves, honestly. (laughs) Um, But I had a lot of fun talking about that show, and I hope you, you the listener, had a lot of fun listening to me talk about it. Um, That said, I do want to, like, mention one thing up top because I noticed that not a lot of people have been checking it out, or not as many people as I think probably should check it out have been checking it out um so if you're listening to this in your relatively new otaku which is not which is not totally out of the question believe me um because generally otaku like the otaku life life um style continues for about 2 years and then suffers a deep drop off and you want to know a little bit more about the anime industry versus what you suspect about the anime industry, and you don't want to hang out in the, like, anime-averse anime, like, near the anime industry for, like, years the way I have, where you've, like, lived through a bubble that burst and all that shit, I would definitely go check out this new thing, by a guy by the name of Filippo Taku on Twitter and um I believe his name is Filippo and and he's a fan and a guy named um Justin Sudeikis, who used to write the Answer Man panel column at over at Ann um may over at Anime News Network may do that again occasionally from what I understand, but it, it, there's only so many way, There's only so many questions you can answer before you start to feel like you're giving the same answer or a version of the same answer. And I, from what he said in, like in writing for an A and N, that's and through Zach and to Zach, who's the editor of A and N, um, that's kind of what he felt was happening. So he he kind of hung up his boots on that one. But he is, if you have any idea of what DVD and Blu-ray mastering is. He is a big-time DVD and Blu-ray mas- mastering house um, and business. That's what he does as a profession for the anime industry, and you I would, not, I would not be surprised if you listening to this have a Blu-ray he's worked on before in your collection. Or a blue a Blu-ray that he mastered in your collection, um, and what mastering is is basically it's you know taking the English track, putting it on, taking the subtitle track, putting it on, you know, shoring up the video, and making sure the video is that the anime you're getting off of the disc is the best looking possible, and they started this new YouTube channel called Band vs Pro, and before you like, Alex is going on for a long time about this. Where is he earning money? I'm not earning money for this. I think it's a genuinely kind of cool, interesting, bizarre thing that they're doing because what they are doing is, in addition to taking um, questions from the audience, Filippo or Filippo Taku is coming to Justin with questions about the industry, which frequently asked questions. I think I mentioned this in the episode that me and Slate did about Interspecies Reviewers, um, but when the Interspecies Reviewers thing was blowing up, they did a... they did their episode that week about how licensing happens, and why you can license something... and why and how you can license something without quite knowing what it looks like in the year of 2020, and how that happens. And... Like I said, Justin would have reason to know these things, not i I look at I look at a scenario like that, and I as a trained animator, as somebody who just who understands media buying because I've worked in advertising and who understands like just the creative process being fed into the business process and how like half baked stuff gets bought on the assumption that it can be fully baked all the time. Um, I I had my suspicion that that the case that they talk about in that episode was the case, but I wasn't like I wasn't absolutely empirically sure. But so that's a really interesting episode to go watch. I think it's like called like licensing and Funimation or something. The episode that they just did yesterday night. Um, and the fun thing about this also is they live stream these things. So, you get... So, if you happen in on a live stream, you can ask questions real-time, you can get answers real-time, and you can kind of pick the brain of somebody who's been in the anime industry for a long time, and that's a really great thing to do. So, definitely go check out um the their YouTube channel. Again, it's called Fan vs. Pro. If you want to follow... Filippo on um, Twitter, his Twitter handle is Flippotaku, and if you want to h- follow Justin on Twitter, his Twitter handle is and has been for a long time World of Crap. <laughs> um. But, that said, that's not what I'm talking about today, and I'm also not talking about the, like, burning thing in people's brains right now today, although I may be talking about it, although... This may be what's burning in people's brains this episode. Um, I'm not talking about Sonic the Hedgehog because, as I mentioned before, I am quick. very soon moving. So, like, I don't have a lot of time to get out to a theater <laughs> for once. Like, I can't just be like, well, this Saturday I'm going to go see Sonic the Hedgehog because that's just what I'm going to do with my time. No, like, I have to, like, go and put a... Wall guard behind my doorknob for my bedroom, for, for the door for my bedroom, so it doesn't put a hole in the wall, kind of thing. Um, but for instance, but that also means that this podcast you're listening to right now is the last episode of Lunchbox Radio. Not ever, don't worry that's recorded in this location, that's recorded in this secret location. The next secret location will have a name, and be... no, It won't sound any different to you, um, but it will just be a better location for recording, and for, like, imbibing anime via my eyeballs, and just, it'll be a much more creative space, and that studio I will be referring to as The Perch. So, next episode, next week, will be the first episode of the podcast that was recorded and released from The Perch. So, I'm super looking forward to that, even if The Perch won't be totally finished. But, I'm just, I'm looking forward to that. And, as for... this episode, what I'll be talking about is... A little movie by a director who definitely took everybody by surprise last year. Um, and that director is Misaki Yuasa. And I'm talking about Ride Your
1: Wave. That 僕らは。必ず。ただいま君がどこに向かって泳い
0: Now, for anybody who's listened to this podcast for a considerable amount of time, you probably remember when I talked about um, the last Misaki Yuasa... Misaki... Misaki... Yuasa, let's just say Yuatha. I'm not going to say his first name. I'll butcher it too many times in different ways. Um, but I talked about the last Yuasa film that was... The Night is Short, Walk on Girl. Um, I will definitely be talking about keep your hands off Isaac Ken, um, that will probably happen with Slate, since Slate was, like, just, like, he is, he is going hard on that show, which I super respect, because, unlike me, he has no, like, creative outlet for the shit that that inspires other than making videos. Um, Being which, if you want a spoilerific review of Sonic the Hedgehog this week, I understand that Slate has that covered. I haven't watched it myself yet, but I know they had it covered. Um, Because I got... (laughs) I got a list of stuff from him this week that was like, Hey, first off, do you play Overwatch on Switch? We should be friends and play Overwatch, (laughs) because I just got this game. And the second thing was, I'm about to go see Sonic, and then, like... A full Sonic the Hedgehog live-action movie size time later, I get exactly this, dude. You need to go see Sonic, <laughs> which I will at some point. I promise. Maybe not in the theater, but I will at some point. Like Sonic the Hedgehog live-action will happen to my brain. Um, but I so so I will totally be talking about. Keep your hands off, Isaacin. For a lot of different reasons, most of which you know, probably, if you've been listening to this for long enough. And you are watching that show this season, which I'm fairly certain, like, that Venn diagram is in the circle, but it's pretty close. Um, <laughs> but, so, The Night the Short Walk-On Girl is, it's a story about love, and it's a story about, like, a wandering asshole of a girl... <laughs> And, like, how she comes to realize that someone loves her and that she wants to attempt to love him back, at least for the moment. Um, And that's a really interesting be- movie because that entire movie is fueled by drinking. Um, I'm not going to go into it entirely, but... <sighs> Ride Your Wave is a totally different kind of movie. And Ride Your Wave... Is a movie that comes after all the Uwasa material that has come out, including in being in the middle of when Isaacen is is on is on television actively. So this is like this is how directors get big really quickly instead of, like, building up over time and making a huge name for themselves over time, another way they can do it is they just go do a lot of stuff and they're really prolific. And there's a reason why directors want to do that right now, and that is because... (sighs) Get off my lawn, old man, Miyazaki, (laughs) and his studio of of grouchy jerks otherwise known as Studio Ghibli, which is not true entirely. Miyazaki is, like, he is is a well-meaning asshole is the way I would describe him. Like, he hates things, but he mostly hates things because uh, that's just like him. He's, like, not honestly... Like, if he... He would be like, I hate otaku, but, like, if he encountered, like, someone in the wild who loved his work, but wasn't... ...entirely sycophantic with just like, oh, I like your movies. And then, like, wanted to have a normal conversation, he'd probably be like, well, thank you. And, like, in your brain, you're like, you were feeling, well, thank you, and you are depraved. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, anyway, so, Miyazaki announced that he was retiring. And Mi- Miyazaki retires about as much as Cher retired, which is means that, like, he retired. Basically, so he can come back out of retirement. <laughs> like, that's his move. It's like a real parabolic line move of a career trajectory. And, but when somebody like Miyazaki retires, it becomes this, like, space in, like, anime film. In anime as, like, a film genre. Not necessarily as a TV genre, but as a film genre for, like, directors to occupy that space. Um, for a long time, people were hoping that the director of, um, Miss Hokusai would occupy that space. He makes really beautiful, really odd, kind of supernaturally inspired cool shit. And Miss Hokusai is great, but it doesn't... It doesn't have that feel of a Miyazaki thing. Um... Um, what's it called? Um, uh, Makoto Shinkai, like, his, like, we, arguably his worst film? Um, Kids Who Chase Lost Voices, was basically, I mean, I, I haven't, arguably from what critics say, his worst film. I haven't seen that movie all the way through, but from what I have seen, it is very much like... I can do Miyazaki things. Please notice me for this. What ended up breaking out for him was Your Name, and even to a lesser extent th- um, this year's Weathering with You, which I did a podcast about a couple episodes ago, if you're interested in hearing my thoughts on that. And in that, I talk about, like, why it doesn't hold together the same way Your Name does. And what everybody seems to miss about... Not only Mizaki but Studio Ghibli the whole is that the way that he made these movies like he wasn't making this like the style was baked into the way he made narratives and movies, but all the movies were very different you know if you hold something like. Howl's Moving Castle next to something like Prince Monoki, those are very different films. They have some minor traits that can, that like, are stylistically the same, like the w- like, character, like, character behaviors and movements and stuff, but they are not fundamentally the same film. And as I suspect people found out about Makoto Shinkai, fucking finally, like, the gig is up, Makoto! give back the awards. Um, Makoto Shinkai, for better or worse, he makes kind of the same movie all the time. The thing that's nice about Yuasa is that he clearly doesn't. He doesn't make... Th- but he also doesn't just work in movies. He's not interested in making the same film all the time. Um, I haven't seen Lou over the Wall, although people say that, like, Louisville, The Wall and some of the same messages in it as Ride Your Wave. Just by seeing the movies, it's very clear that they're, they have some of the same messaging, but not they're not fundamentally the same movie. It's not the, like, Makoto Shinkai-esque people who get to be together for a short time and then are at a distance... And then come, to, but then never come together unless he wants to make money with the movie. And then they come together at the very end, so you can imagine that they're happy together, kind of thing. Uh, Yuasa seems like he wants to tell different stories about different things in the, using animation as a medium, um, and that's a really good and interesting thing. What it means, however, is that there will be some like knock it out of the parks and some you know bait some baseline hits that get you to first base, but then you like you pop around, you you're not you're not doing a home run, you're doing first, second, third home. And what I mean by that is as a And, like, a joy of a film. I liked The Night is Short, Walk-On Girl a lot more than I liked Ride Your Wave. And I'm not trying to say Ride Your Wave is bad. It's not bad. It's pretty good. It is really interesting and really beautiful in the way that it uses, like, experimental types of animation, like, fisheye lenses from the back of the main of the main character's bike bicycle seat in the beginning of the film. Spoiler alert, by the way, because this is this is a film with like definite plot points that super matter. So if you don't want to be spoiled on this, um, the, literally the if you're listening to this on Friday, the premiere event was on Wednesday. I have a feeling it will probably come back to theaters because it was sold out in certain theaters... It was, like, all but sold out in certain theaters in New York. Um, but... The way he uses this... The, the way he uses, like, non-traditional animation angles, the way he followed the character... The way he depicts surfing, which, as someone who knows how to windsurf, like there are very specific. I can't surf, surf because I am disabled and I, I don't have good enough balance for that. Yo, I will die. <laughs> um, the way that you, the way that you move when you're surfing, even windsurfing, the actions are very deliberate and very on purpose. And like every part of your body has to like work just so, so you can like crouch down and take a wave perfectly, but then come back up, so you can keep your balance on f- not calm water, but less, but like undu- on the undulating surface of calm water that can knock you off your board. Believe me. Um, and th- there was clearly a lot of research done. There was a lot of research done about, and I. So like, what what happened between twenty like eighteen and now that made everybody be like, you know what? We better start researching firefighters and like making firefighter anime. Like, son, do you want to be a firefighter? I have a plethora of shows and at least one movie for you. Um, actually, I have. A show and two movies for you, sir. And the reason why I say that is because they've really, they've a pretty detailed. Um, like I have, I wouldn't be surprised if Yuasa hung out with like a beachside fire brigade for like a month or something. Um, look at what it's like to be a firefighter in like an ocean town in Japan. (laughs) And what it looks like to be a part of a whole fire brigade in that same area. And so what this movie is, is it's about... It's a movie primarily about grief. And... I appreciated it because of personal reasons that I bought into the theater. Not thinking about until... I was in the middle of it. But... I don't know if it's built to connect... If it's built in a way that will completely connect with everybody. I think... I think it will certainly connect with... Tons of people, and tons of people... It will not take it... Will not take it in the same way I did, and also the, my um friend who I went with did. Who actually went to see... um The Night is Short Walk On Girl with me. She likes... Um, Ride Your Wave better than that movie... But she still said that... Ride Your Wave was just okay... Um... But... So... Basically what happens is... Guy meets girl... Guy becomes very obsessed with girl... <laughs> and... They... They move on... They, their relationship moves at a really good clip... A really good clip... And I'm not saying that doesn't happen... But there's this... There is this... It feels like there's a piece missing. It feels like there's a, like, disconnection that happens with this couple, and I... So this did... It didn't do the thing that now um, Makoto Shinkai movies seem intent on doing, and... That's making the relationship clear through a montage to music. Although this song does feature a song that, thank God, I forgot the name of now. But I will probably use it as the ending of this podcast. Um, but it doesn't... The relationship happens so fast... That doesn't feel like you get to know the characters by themselves or with the or with each other. You get to know like a couple as a unit. And I think I think that's probably intentional because I think because what Yuasa does by I wanna say maybe the end of the first third of the movie, by the end of the first act of the movie, is that he... is that the... male character, the male lead, the male... romantic interest, um... his name's like Mito or something. His name Mito, I think, is his nickname. Dies in a surfing accident. Because, you know, his, um... girlfriend... um... His girlfriend, I forget her, na- I forget her name. Um, also, t- so, if it seems like I'm struggling with the names, it's because I fucking am. Because of two things. First, tall lady with big hair sat in front of me. Well, I was sitting at first. And my friend, who is a native Japanese-speaking woman, like, leaned over to me and was like, Hey, I know you have to read this fucking movie to know what's going on do you want to switch? And I'm like, yes. Thank you, I love you. And we switched. But the thing that I later found out that I found out immediately after that was all the subtitles were like white with black, with thin black outlines. And what that means in the practice of this movie, which is a very light color palette, is lots of times you have Hard to read white subtitles on, like, close to white-looking sand that, like, you have to decipher. So I was, like, thankful I had full view of the subtitles, but sometimes I, like, just didn't, I couldn't get there all the time. So, like, it took me a couple times to think of the name to be like, oh! Um, but, and the, and so, like, that those two sayings were like, oh, this is gonna be a bitch. <laughs> um, but, so the main character, so the main character's, like, love interest, the the guy, Mito, dies in a surf- sur- surfing accident. And, you, and you realize that you have to, that you're not on a journey with these two characters, you're on a journey with one character, and that one character is um is he he Hinako. I thought her name was Hinako. Is actually you're on a journey with like the one thing this movie gets right, gets absolutely empirically no doubt right about like the grieving about the grieving of somebody dying is you see all the connections that those people, that somebody who died made not only to other people as themselves, but made connections between people. So like Hinako is friends with, um, Hinako is friends with Yoko, Minato's younger sister, who grieves at her own pace and gets over it, or seemingly gets over it, much faster than Hinako does. Who y- you're led to believe that Hine- it will take a long, lo- a longer time than the movie has to show you Hinako getting over it. For Hinako, for, for Hinako to get over. Minato's death, and what this does in, like, in the retrospective of seeing them together for the first part of the movie, it shows you how close she felt to him, and how, and this is kind of sweet, how it didn't, how it didn't matter what your perception of their relationship was by seeing them in the first part of the movie versus what their relationship actually was. And they do things in the movie to, like, imply- to, like, let you know certain parts of the relationship. Like, you clearly see that they have, like, started- you clearly understand when they started sleeping together. You clearly understand when they're starting to talk about moving in together about getting engaged. You know, Hinako does meet Yoko when Minato is still alive and it's clear later when you see the like fu- family funeral that Hinako is there and they all know he- and they all know her. So it's um It's actually a valuable and interesting experience to not feel like they're all that close when you see them at the time. When you see them together in the beginning of the movie, because it dawns on you kind of slowly how close they were through Hinako's grieving and lack of grieving, which we'll get to in a second, um, th- throughout the rest of the movie. And when I say lack of grieving, what I mean is, he, after Minato dies, and after, after Hinako sees Minato's dead body covered by a sheet on the beach, dies, she is heartbroken. She can't, can't pull herself together at all. And she's a wreck, constantly. Like, when people get her out of her apartment, if they do... She, oh, and I should mention, this is, so this is really important, I think. Um, there's another character, another side-camera character named Wasabi, and oftentimes the way these movies, the way romance movies pan out, they, it's all about the main, it's all about the, the characters who first meet, of the couple, and for Hinako, the person she first met was Wasabi, and Wasabi is the person who like started that relationship, and then later Minato, uh, Minato rescues her from the top of a building, and she and they kind of fall for each other at first at at first sight, and blah 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 blah. Later on in the movie, you find out that Hinako had no idea that, at the time, that they weren't just the same person, and he's like, what the fuck? And he reveals, like, I kinda love you, what the fuck? Um, but, what that, ends up, Doing is it, it sets up just like like I was saying. It sets up these cross-pollinating relationships to be even tighter for you to understand that like. And this is something that pe- that I'm gonna sound like a PBS like public health, public service announcement. But um, the thing that people who want off themselves don't often think about is that as small as you can feel like an an impression you had on the world is you still by virtue of existing connect people because people are connected through you like for example my the friend i saw the the friend i saw this movie with she is connected to my friend Lauren, who has been on this podcast because I met I met my. Fr- I'll just say her name. I I met Kie after I met Lauren, but me and Kie were really good friends, and later on, Kie lived in the same apartment as Lauren, partially because they knew each other because I was the like central person, and. It takes some amount of central of awareness to realize that you have some kind of centrality in the relationships around you. And it's not like you need, like, I take credit for introducing these people to each other. It's more like, by knowing people, naturally, they know people I know, and I know people they know. And it's, like, part of how you get into, like, a friend group or you get into a community. Um and this movie this movie does a pretty good job of showing that in a small way that's like conceivable by mankind. And also in like the the guys that you first meet isn't the guy the, that Hinako falls in love with is very like this movie feels like it has a lot this movie feels like it has a lot of connective tissue with a movie called I think it's called PS I Love You. And it's all about this guy who realizes that after he dies and think of cancer, his wife will be devastated, so he leaves her a series of notes to like restart her life for her. And In this movie, that, like, series of notes, is played by Minato as, like, a water ghost that's summoned by Hinako singing their favorite song out loud. And then he, like, bubbles up in, like, whatever body of water she's around. Like, if she sings it and she's staring at a puddle, he'll be in the puddle. She, for a while, she carries around a water bottle and so she can sing to him and have him in the water bottle at her most, like, fucking blast-off-from-the-planet-Earth-crazy. She, and, the and, so, the thing the movie wants to do, and, as, and it does it successfully, is it wants to say there's coping, and then there's, over there's there's coping mechanisms for stuff like this, and there's like irrational avoidance tactics, and it's lots of times d- it's easy to slide from one directly into another, in both directions, and so what could be like a fun way to like you know still have a connection to the person to Minato Hinako turn turns into. Or, um, yeah, H- H- Hinako turns into a crutch. She, turn- she decides that she's not going to be involved with the world anymore because she wants to be with Minato forever. And as long as she has this song, she can. And sh- there's this, like, dumb. This movie is very Yuasa. It has the same kind of, like, joyousness of the kind parts of Devilman Crybaby. I can't believe I'm saying this. And the kind... And the, like, fun parts of... Which I can't believe I'm saying. Of the nice, short walk-on girl. Everything's, like... Everybody smiles big, and they, like... Get in... And Hinako has this, like, favorite character that... Her favorite animal is clearly a porpoise. And they buy this, like inflatable porpoise at one point in, when Minato is still alive. And so her genius idea is to fill this thing up with water so it's like full enough where it can stand on its own, basically. And, which I'm not, which will come into play in a second. And she sings the song to it. She sings the first two verses of the song to it. And Mirado materializes in the porpoise. And from there, it becomes a very large in the real doll situation, but less healthy. <laughs> and that is, she takes this thing everywhere, she, like, dances through the streets with it, she, like, goes to museums with, like, everywhere. And, like, everybody around her, including Yoko, who, like, is the most Sindere character I've seen in a while, like, she's like... Not that I care or anything, but you seem like you're having a breakdown. But also, I don't care at all. Why, why, why would you assume I care? It's not like I would help you if you maybe asked. I don't care. Um, It's like, everybody's concerned about her. And it takes her a long time to, get, to not only get over Minato... N- not get over Minato, but come to... It takes a long time and a traumatic, and, like, a truly traumatic event to get over the fact that Minato isn't really there anymore. Yes, his spirit exists in whatever water is around her, but they can't kiss, they can't hug, they can't touch each other. It It's basically a Bubble Boy scenario. <laughs> um, it's a terrible movie, but it, the reference is relevant. Um... But, so what happens from that, from that point in the movie is she, like, has to come to terms with that. And she has to come to terms with the fact that her coping mechanism had now become a crutch in her life. And she ends up taking a job as a, um, I forget what it's, what kind of lifeguard's called, but, like, a... A surfing lifeguard, basically. And she learns how to do... The Heimlich Maneuver. Um, she has a hallucination... She has, like, a slight hallucination where she sings She sees um, Minato in the, in the test dummy, and she freaks out. And she runs off into, like, the nearest puddle of water. And she starts singing, and she goes, I can't. This is a crutch. Like he, and she says he wouldn't want this and the, the supernatural element of this movie is there to, rep- to give shape to the way that people get over a death and the way and the like r- very irrational things people attach to people who aren't really there uh, who 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 have nothing to do with those things because at some point in their life, that's what they were. That's what those people loved. I'll give, and for example, I will give you an example based on what I came into this movie with, which I mentioned before. When I was a kid, I grew up with. A, I was raised by a single mother. Um, I was also let's remember a childhood can- brain cancer survivor, a two time childhood brain cancer survivor. And I didn't have a father. Well, I had a father, but I didn't have a dad, so to speak. My dad was, maybe still is, a drug addict. And for the betterment of my health and my general life, my mom moved away from him. And so, I grew up with various people who represented the idea of a dad in pieces. One of them was my childhood, fr- my childhood and still friend, Jeremy, who was, who was, and if I saw him today, still would be like an older brother to me. Um, another one was my aunt, who was the other grown-up parent- parental figure for much of my young life, for much of my formative life. Um, but the last one was my grandfather, and my grandfather, this is so bizarre, my grandfather had psoriasis, and one of the things that they recommend you do about psoriasis is you spend a lot of time in the sun, because the massive amount of vitamin D calms it down or whatever. So he, he was also in the Navy, so he had this, like, lifelong love of the ocean. And after he died, I know I didn't see this in person but I was told about it. He was scattered in the ocean. He was cremated and scattered in the ocean. And what that means, like, in a spiritual sense to me, is like when I go to the ocean I remember my grandpa. And that's the and that and when I and watching this movie that is about remembering through the act of surfing and the act of doing things that you did when with the person you loved, it... It... It reminded me of going to the ocean and remembering my grandpa. And... That, ga- that gave me more attachment to this movie. That it, While it's very good at everything it seeks to do, it doesn't... Because... Because of the way that it... Attaches you to um, Hinako and Minato as a couple, it doesn't... Always... Ex- it doesn't... It doesn't feel like it's going to force tears. It didn't feel like I was going to cry. Like, I... I listened to um Zach's review of the movie and he's like, Bring tissues. I, I there's no part of me that cried, but there's part of me that like sympathized with the characters and not not just because I am a human empathy machine on turned up to overdrive, um, which is true. But it's just that on top of the like clear clear and intense amount of research that um, Uwasov clearly did for this movie, because I can tell you from seeing, like, old surf competition footage when I was a kid, it, he clearly watched surfers, he clearly, like, went to visit a, fi- uh, a fire department. Uh, he clearly did all of these things... ...to make sure that the, like, linchpin points of the movie were... ...to to make sure that, like, you would be... ...that you would be awed by the surfing in the movie, but you wouldn't be taken out of the experience because... It's just somebody kind of standing and crouching slightly on a board. This movie feels as much like a surfing movie as that movie that came out a while ago, a long time ago. I'm so old. Um, (laughs) Called Blue Crush felt like a surfing movie. And that's not an easy thing to do. Like, you have to go and you have to research, you know, uh, how the body moves when you surf. You know, how. Fire drills actually happen. You can't just make all that stuff up, because, and this is important for the sake of animation. And they, Misaka, Yuasa's other project right now. Um, keep your hands off Isaacoon Talks about this a lot. Basing your, basing your animation and your films in reality help. Keeps the constructed reality together. Partially because you don't want someone to then find out later that, like, that's not... Like, that's not how they showed it in Ride Your Wave. You want people to understand that, like, this this could be how they did this. This is how they did this. And also, on a weird side note... you never know who's going to be watching your movie. And part of the thing that, like, the internet loves to do, specifically Vanity Fair loves to do, is they love to get experts to watch a certain kind of film. So a great a great example of this is a YouTube video from Vanity Fair where they got a professional jewel thief, seriously, to watch heist movies and rate the heists and rate how they would how they would and tell how they would do a heist how they would do that specific heist or why it isn't is or isn't possible and the reason why that's so cool is because movies that are like super hot heist movies that are like super Hollywood amazing are like he's like this would never fucking happen like this this is insane Maybe for, like, the exception of, like, these two things in, like, this movie, this movie would never work. It's, like, too. it's too clean, it's too perfect, what the hell? Um, and the movie he did that with the most was the Ocean... The Ocean's movies, like, the Ocean 13 movies. Um, the, so, like, Ocean 11, 12, and 13, I don't think he did 8. Um, but he would also go to other movies and be like, this is exactly how you do this. Like, you... This is how these people. This is how I would do all of this. Um, but you, if you're doing a really good job as a filmmaker, somebody like me who knows more than a little about surfing because I do know how to windsurf, should be able to go see a movie where surfing is like the main motif, and like come away from it being like that thing knew what it was doing, like, it knew what it was talking about, the, like, the, the, specifically the end where Hinako surfs down a building as it's being put out by a cylindrical wave, with her dead boyfriend's sister, like, holding her to the board, is, like, so beautiful, and it's... It's something that animation thrives at, and that is, it is a real thing happening in an unreal way. It is—I don't want to say magical realism, but it is fantasy inspired by reality, and that—that's one of that's some of the things that anime. That's one of the things that anime, at its, that anime—not even anime, but animation—not just anime. Animation as a whole is expert at doing. Um, And and animation is also very good at doing things that, like, fantasy inspired by fantasy, but if you go watch um, Keep Your Hands Up, Isaacun, especially right now, they have, like, a robot thing they're doing. And they talk about the robot, and they talk about it giving it a drill. And you see it with, like, different actual drill bits. And if you watch the first, like, thing that the... What I'm gonna call the first arc of that show. Go figure. Um, They have a... They're doing an animation about a girl with a machete biting a tank. And the girl who comes up with the tank does tons of research on tanks and all that shit. And but the girl who does the character animation with the machete with the with the main character with the nameless girl with the machete is like she goes to like the gardening club and gets a machete. So she can be like Okay, this is how this works. This is like how you could swing this or how I would want it swung and I <laughs> One of the reasons why so many creatives have so many, to- like, so many creatives, like, collect toys and have little weird things is because they see inspiration in them. They see creative usefulness in them. I I have a unsharpened katana that I've now decorated with um, fan art, Dickard, because I thought it was a cool idea. And it is. It's wrapped up to be moved. It will go in the perch, eventually. Um, But the... These things are also useful, like, I I got that katana specifically because I'm like, I don't know how to fucking draw these things. Every time I draw one, the curve is too severe and ends up looking like a tea ceremony dagger on steroids. Um, So I, like, you know, I could look a picture or I could just get one, feel the weight, feel the, like, actual slight curvature feel the way the handle is know what the texture of the like of the um binding on the handle feel the see the way that they do an actual katana hand guard all of that stuff is important and yuasa but what yuasa adds to all of that is he gets the he gets the important the important stuff down but the way that his anime has this kind of... noodly, broad-stroke feel, it makes it feel less like it's so technical that you're like, oh, this person's a nerd. This person spent the entire time, I'm not referring to anything, anybody in particular in the class, Mr. Miyazaki, drawing planes. Drawing lots of planes. And... You also avoid that by, like, clearly by doing research, but then kind of riffing on what he knows about that research to make really beautiful-looking stuff. Um, On that note, I am going to end it about here so I can go get dinner. But if you like this episode, I do this every week. I'll be doing it from a new location starting next week. Um, I encourage you to subscribe. Um, leave me a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It really helps the show. Um, But until next time, I've been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk to you later.